0: Hello, Simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today we're talking to Dr. John Deloney about anxiety. We're gonna talk to him about the bricks in your backpack. But well, I figured we'd start with a segment. We do this segment called More About Less. And since we have John here, and we've got his brand new book, it's called Own Your Past, Change Your Future. I'll hold it up if you're watching the, the video version here. First off, John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man, Thank you for your hospitality, guys. It's awesome. Oh, my gosh. I'm so grateful for this book because fundamentally, it seems to me the book is about stories. Yep. The stories that we tell ourselves are the problem. Mm. The stories we tell ourselves are the solution. Yep. And so I wanted to start with this section. This is on page 23. And since you're here... I thought maybe oh, you're not going to read from this, are you? You could read oh, from it. Oh, no. <laughs> I've got it marked here on page 23 and 24. Fantastic. Thanks, man. <laughs> I haven't done this since the audiobook, and
1: I've been to therapy to try to clear my mind of that, but thank you. <laughs> Types of stories. As I've mentioned, there are four types of stories that direct our lives. The stories we're born into, the cultural narratives, the political histories, churches and faith heritage, and family identities and traditions. This is the air we breathe. Then there's the stories others tell us, our worth, value, and ability told to us by our institutions, our parents and teachers, our enemies and friends. The stories that actually happen. We got fired. She said Yes. Someone in our unit died. Someone else got the job. The baby got sick. We had twins or the economy collapsed. These stories are about reality. And then the stories we tell ourselves, the ones about identity, who we are, the judgments we cast on ourselves. Keep going. Keep going. Whether we realize it or not, these stories shape how we walk into a room and what we say when we get there. They inform the clothes we wear and the cars we drive, where we live and work and how we spend our free time. They masquerade as our assumptions and biases. They direct where we focus our attention, and they tell our bodies when to run, fight, or feel safe. They direct other people on how they can maintain power or control, and many stories are excellent. Stories can be true and beautiful and right. Some are uncomfortable, yet true, and some stories are based in unchangeable, cast-in-stone reality. A few stories stand the test of time. And now, thanks to all our technology and progress, we're bombarded with countless stories piped directly into our minds. Stories used to be powered by your family of origin, local religion, and maybe a man yelling in the town square. Now they're powered by social media, algorithms, and Tesla.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bravo. Yeah, man. So we use this segment as a little jump-off point here. Let's talk about some of these stories because it seems to me that quite often we are constantly disempowering ourselves with these stories
1: greatest word yeah Mm -hmm. let's talk about that well we've got these you know you got these stories you're born into right and you just understand that's just the way the world works right the joke it tells like when me and my wife got married we i was brushing my teeth like a person who loves babies and puppies, right? Like a human. And I would put the toothpaste on it and then I would put it under the sink before I put it in my mouth. And my wife, because I think she's a serial killer, she would put it on the toothbrush and then shove it directly into her mouth. And I remember thinking when I saw that, that's not how you do that. Mm. And then I thought, well, maybe that's not It's not how you do that. And then I had turned it into a morality, like a right and wrong thing, right? Mm. And then I was like, why don't you just do it this way because it's better and she tried it and she's like you're right and that's the second that was only the second time i've been right in our 25 (laughs) years together but but like it's just it's just here's how you do life this is how you this is what you do every sunday this is what you do every weekday afternoon this is how you do dinner and those stories just become a part of us and Mm. there's a biochemical process like there's a physiology this is what's safe i just told uh, megan we walked in here the smell of this reminds me of a studio i walked into 25 years ago Mm. and it felt Right. Your body just drops. And so our bodies remember these stories and they're important and we forget or really don't understand how they continue to
2: play into our lives year after year after mm-hmm. year, decade after decade.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because these stories that help us um, or they hurt us, but, you know, with your toothbrush, that was that was something that was helping you we tend to um, project that onto other people. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is how it should be done. Yeah. And that's really where um, I know I've gone wrong a lot, especially being a former yeah. Jehovah's Witness. Everything was good or bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you were doing it the bad way, then I would make sure to let you know that I thought you <laughs> were right. doing it the bad way. That's right. And it's interesting because now um, I just have an understanding of, you know, whatever story someone is telling themselves uh, I I just support them on that great mm. if that's helping you great I'm going to support you on that I'm not going to tell you that mm. yeah I know you're doing well but you could be doing better mm. and here's a story you should tell yourself um, I, Josh I'm curious like is there any stories you can think of that like you were telling yourself from you know from uh, from a little child that
0: you had to kind of change the narrative moving into adulthood yeah uh, I think the the biggest one for me had to do with we talked about this with Joshua Becker a bit a few weeks ago about the narrative of significance and I think it probably stemmed from my childhood mm. but I became obsessed and uh, John was talking about this before we started recording obsessed with who I am as a person who is my what's my identity mm. right. And our identities are sort of these masks that we wear. It doesn't really say who I am. It's maybe a 2D version of who I am. And in our culture, a lot of times that has to do with our job title. So if I was a regional manager for 16 Mm. retail stores, now I'm significant. Mm. Now I'm important. And then I got the next promotion, which I didn't even want, but you'd be stupid not to take it. Now you're Mm. in charge of 150 retail stores. Mm. Instead of working 80 hours a week, you have to work 90 hours this week, right? And next week, and the following week. And there's never an end to any of Mm. this, right? And so, but I got a more impressive job title. So Mm. I must be a better person. It's moralizing everything. Mm. And it strikes me that there's a particular kind of self-righteousness to Mm. this. Mm. I I think we don't realize it, right? But here's what I'm supposed to do, Mm. whether it's brushing your teeth this way Mm. or it is getting a job, going into debt, going to college, Mm. going to grad school. These are the Mm. things you're supposed to do. Okay. According to whom? Mm and what is my outcome what am i trying to achieve cuz there's nothing wrong with going to college mm. right but that liberal arts degree isn't going to make me a better me mm. and that the the challenge I, y- y'all both hit on it perfectly
1: is when you were a jehovah's witness telling somebody mm-hmm. that they were wrong i think that probably came from a good place like i'm trying to help yeah. right yeah. and the, the 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 genesis of this work was I just did what I was supposed to do, man. Mm-hmm. Like I just went to college and then I got married and then we got a house and then we tried to have kids and mm. then we went to grad school because that's just the next thing you're supposed to do. Right. And it wasn't until I kept, man, I like, quit moving the finish line on me. I keep getting mm. there, guys. Like mm-hmm. I've made the money and now I've got this title. And then that. I'd wake up next morning and I was still the same guy looking at the same person in the mirror and they just kept moving. I don't know who they is, but the, mm. the, the finish line keeps moving. You're they. That's right, mm-hmm. yeah. And mm. eventually my body says, hey, we can't keep running. Like, I'm out, right? And that's the walk back. Like, whoa, that's not in the lexicon, right? Ooh. It's just keep going. There is no asterisk at the bottom. There's no footnote that says, and if you keep going at this pace, eventually your body says we're out, right? Yeah. And I think collectively, if we look around the country, we have millions of bodies that just said, I'm I'm out. I tap. Right? Mm. And I don't have another, I don't have a plan B. I can't keep doing this.
0: Hmm. Mm we talk a bit mm-hmm. about, because I, this seems to be an underlying theme in a lot of your work, but the the bricks that we carry, that you, you talk about in the book, the bricks in your backpack. Can yeah. you unpack that for us?
1: Yeah, um, this comes from sitting at the feet of some great trauma researchers, and I didn't understand that these stories had a physiological consequence. And so I think there's been, um, unfortunately, in the last couple hundred years, we've divorced ourselves from some of our cultural myths or our religions or the things that had deep meaning for all of us that we all kind of collectively were a part of Mm -hmm. and in that time we were disconnected from like pain has a real cost it's got cortisol and adrenaline and actual biochemical stuff going on in your body Mm. and so it was when i sat next to her name was lynn jennings she was a secondary traumatic stress researcher i was like oh if if this happens when you're six you physically are carrying that when you're 36 if you don't deal Mm -hmm. with it And so the analogy, I used to have student after student after student coming in my office and meeting with me, asking this question, this question. And so the way I just started telling them a decade ago was, hey, just picture that you're carrying this backpack. Everyone's born with it. And some of you get shot out of the cannon with cinder blocks in there, man. Mm -hmm. Like dad didn't show up. You're the wrong color in the wrong neighborhood. You were born into poverty cycle, whatever the thing is, you were born with cinder blocks. Mm. And then I would tell my students who were born with very few bricks in the backpack, if you're ahead right now and they're breathing down your neck, they're actually stronger and faster than you because they're carrying a lot more and mm-hmm. y'all are making the same grades and the same, right? So this is the conversations and educational systems.
3: Yeah.
1: But ultimately, here's the big the big aha for me. I didn't have any major cinder blocks, right? Until I was had some childhood stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But I realized, oh, the you may not get cinder blocks dropped in your backpack, but it may be dad just sitting there scrolling mindlessly when you're a little kid saying, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. Look at this picture. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, that's cool, man. But he never makes eye contact with you. Mm -hmm. And you're seven or you're six, and you know there's a disconnect between me and dad. And when you're six or seven, you don't know. Dad, put your stupid phone away and be present with your child. Mm -hmm. You don't know that. Mm -hmm. You think something about that box is more lovable than me. Mm. something about that shiny thing has more of my dad's attention than I do. And I'm going to be about solving that for the rest of my life. And so it's a pebble in your backpack and there's a pebble and it's a pebble. And every time you go to dad, he's like, Hey, hold, hold on, son. I, I got to check out this email. And then over time, when you're 35, the weight in that backpack, whether it's cinder blocks or it's pebbles is the same. Mm. And so when I look around at us collectively, whether you had the big abuse, the dad passed away when you were a kid, the, the, the wild stories we have, Or you just simply kept plugging along. Like we talked about, I just did what they told me. And then I got another loan and I bought another car and I took a job I didn't want because I was stupid not to. And then I got married and then, man, we are all carrying too much. Mm. And our bodies are saying, I'm
0: out. Can't carry that anymore. I realized I got married when I was 22 to my first spouse, my former spouse. I was getting divorced at 22. <laughs> <laughs> and we did it. Both did it at, the, yeah. at that time. Ryan mm-hmm. got married when I was 18. I was 22 because that's what you're supposed, supposed to, to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And you don't even stop to question it. It was just like, well, I guess this is the next step. Mm-hmm. I'd be stupid not to, right? Yeah. And then, of course, then we start walking through life with a lot of anxiety and you talk very eloquently about anxiety. We got some questions here, some surprise questions from our audience about anxiety. So yeah. I thought we'd dive into some of those today, cool. since this is a listener-driven show. Yeah. Tammy has a question for us.
1: What is the cure for crippling anxiety?
0: Benzos. <laughs> yeah, benzos. <laughs> yes.
2: yes. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Oh, I wish it was that simple. I-, I would like I would like John to expand on anxiety, where it comes from, what it is the fake cures that don't actually cure it. I I can tell you for me, the only cure when I I get anxiety, I tend to be more anxious than someone Mm. like Ryan is intense physical exercise. There's Mm. a hill right by my house. Uh, and it's on a main street and I'll just go running up it as fast as I can. Mm. And by the time I'm at the top of that hill, I'm so worn out. I don't have (laughs) room for anxiety Mm. anymore. Mm. But let's talk about, before we talk about Tammy's question, the cure for crippling Mm. anxiety, where does anxiety come from?
1: Uh, I think we've pathologized anxiety to a large degree. So Whenever I have this conversation, I want everyone to picture a bell curve. And there is way outside on the long tails of either side of this bell curve. There's true neurological issues. There's true, you know, hormone imbalances, things like that. So mm-hmm. putting those aside, right? Anxiety is really just an alarm system. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And it is just letting you know most of the time you're disconnected. You're out of relationship with people in your community. You found yourself alone. And if you think back a couple of thousand years and you woke up on the plains of Nebraska or Kansas and your tribe had left you, you you're probably going to die, right? Mm -hmm. You were going to get eaten by something. You're going to die of starvation. You're going to die of exposure. We are co-regulated physiologically. We are designed to be in community and relationship with other people in a room together doing life, right? Mm -hmm. And so when our body recognizes that's not the case, it will sound the alarm, right? Or we're in a situation where we're not safe. We're in an abusive relationship. We were abused and our body's recognizing that guy looks like, or she looks like, and it is letting us know, hey, you're not safe. Or the third one is we're in a situation where we can't control the outcome. The nerd word is autonomy, right? We don't have Mm -hmm. autonomy for our next own decision. And all it is is our body's just trying to get our attention. Mm -hmm. And in the last 25 years, Can I back out for a second? Let's do it. Yeah. So if you look at all human history and progress, it's beautiful because we're trying to solve for um, the next best thing. We're going to make a little bit better plow, make a little a horse. Let's breed that horse or that one, make a little bit stronger horse Mm -hmm. so we can do a little bit more yard work or, you know, have a little bit, uh, do it a little bit faster. That's all great. And then technology caught up and passed our ability to think through what we were doing. Mm. And so we begin to solve for comfort rapidly. And I love leather seats. One day I'm gonna get a car that's got them it's gonna be awesome. Um, I like air conditioners I like
0: heaters. I like all the stuff right yeah yeah, yeah you're from Houston you you have to exactly. like air that's right
1: that's right um, So I like technology in progress so don't get me wrong. Um, the challenge is is in the in the last 50 to 100 years, 200 years we have become so obsessed with solving for comfort that we've pathologized discomfort. Mm. We've made discomfort the enemy mm. and we have some very real, physiological things like sadness and frustration and boredom and anxiety, natural things that our body does that we've said, whoa, 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 that's uncomfortable. We need to solve for that. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about anxiety as an alarm in your kitchen, it's just a smoke detector letting you know your house is on fire. You can go see a psychiatrist and climb up in there and take the batteries out, which is what meds do. Mm -hmm. And the alarm will stop. Like, I'll shut that sucker off. The house is still burning down around you. Right. Or I can get a pillow and climb up on a ladder and duct tape around that sucker, which is what addiction does, right? That's what buying new things, that's what a new job title, to what pornography it's All the things, It's what, what another drink and another drink and another boyfriend and another whatever, that's what that will do for you. It'll help numb that sound out. It will dim the sound. Mm-hmm. But man, if you're anxious, going back to the original question, if you got crippling anxiety, get with somebody and walk out to your front yard and look at your house and see what's on fire right? And that's where you start to heal anxiety. It's like duct taping over the, your gas gauge on your car. Why would you do that? Right? That's not the problem. It's just letting you know you need some gas in the car. Right? And so I've started making peace with anxiety. And so I'm an anxious guy. I'm a super anxious guy. And mine's crippling. When it comes, it's hard to walk out. And so when I feel it coming, I begin to be curious with my body. What are you trying to protect me from? And it's a totally different engagement with my body than the decade I went to war against my body trying to shut it
2: up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm this I'm the same way. I uh I I actually do experience anxiety pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um that's why I did have a drug and alcohol problem mm-hmm. when I was, you know, from a from a teenager until, you know, I was like 28, 29 years mm-hmm. old. Um well it's funny, you know, this talking about the stories we tell ourselves. So I had this really cool uncle who um told me all about these awesome Grateful Dead shows he went to and you know all the drugs that he was doing and I really looked up to him. Mm-hmm. And the story I told myself is like, I'm going to be my cool uncle. Mm. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, very quickly started to, um, yeah, just experiment with different drugs. But then I realized that, oh, wow, like these drugs actually do kind of shove down this anxiety. Yeah, they it work. That's the thing. They
1: work.
3: man. Yeah.
2: And you know, what's crazy is like, I was at a point where <clears throat> I would tell myself, people don't want to be around me unless, I, unless I'm unless i on drugs. Yeah. Because that's the only time that I can be myself. And, you know, other than that, um, people probably don't want to be around me. So there's all these stories I was telling myself. And uh then I kind of had a look at um my uncle's life. And I'm like, wait a minute, with this piece of his life, there's also this other piece <laughs> that comes right. with it. And I'm like right. maybe the I whole want- iceberg yeah, yeah, Right. I'm like, maybe I don't want to be my my cool uncle. Um And so the way I would frame that is the story you were born into mm-hmm. was that's
1: what cool is. Right, yes. And over time, yeah. what's so damning is the stories we were born into the stories we were told become the stories we tell ourselves yeah and those are the only stories we can challenge because i can't i can't go back and edit what that coach told me what that uncle told me what that abuser told me i can't go back and edit that the only control i have moving forward is What are these stories? And going back to the uh, uh, fire alarm analogy, we've all been in that hotel room that the smoke detector is so finely tuned that you can be in a hot shower and it will set it off, right? There is moments to go to a psychiatrist and say, I need to take the batteries out just so I can go sit with a counselor and actually hear them, right? Just so I can go back to my wife and say, dude, I have not been the guy you signed up for, and I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. Mm -hmm. Let's come back together. There is moments for that it's going back to what you said. It's, it's not, it won't fix it long-term. It's not
2: the, the no. ultimate solution, right? No. Yeah, absolutely. So I eventually went and got some professional help mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, I've just, you know, I've probably had four or five, like really big <clears throat> light bulb moments mm-hmm. in therapy, but they have completely helped me shift the story mm-hmm. that I tell myself. And when it comes to anxiety, I still will feel anxiety. Um, I find that when my actions align with my values, mm-hmm. I feel less anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel less and less anxiety these days. But when I do, I, I kind of have done the same thing that you've done. Like I make this piece with it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'll sit with it and I'll really um, examine like, okay, where is this coming from? Did I drink too much coffee this morning? Because that could yeah, totally be it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or is there actually something wrong? Mm-hmm. But um, learning to sit with it, I think is, is a huge tool mm-hmm. for crippling anxiety. But to get to that point, yeah, you might have to go talk to a professional to kind of get a different, you know, a different perspective. And that's what a good therapist does, I feel like. What they do is you tell them your story and they go, huh. They're like, well, why don't you look at your story through this lens? Mm -hmm. And how does that feel? And so they they just literally give you tools to look at your story and shift it a little bit Mm -hmm. and maybe start telling yourself uh, a, a different narrative. And I'll tell you, I think
1: modern psychotherapy has failed us in the last hundred years because it's become all cognitive. Mm. if you will just think about this thing, Oof. then you can think your way too. Mm. And you mentioned it, a good count, and there's a there's a movement that's happening, a shift. Go run up and down a hill five times mm-hmm. and your body will go, all right, we're good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go call somebody and say you're sorry. Go pay off every debt you have and your alarm system will stop ringing off the hook because if you owe somebody else money, they control your next move, not you, mm. right? If you have a job title that you are ens- en- enslaved if you're in service to it your body will tell you we're not okay because every day we're going to work doing stuff that we hate that's driving our body crazy it's trying just trying to get your attention so if you can circle back and say dude what are you trying to tell me man yeah like what is the goal here and sometimes it's you got to pull your kid out of 19 different activities that you're trying to prop up your ego with mm. and go kick a soccer ball in your front yard together right go laugh a little bit have joy in your life then your body goes, all right, cool. Now, now Ryan's back in the driver's seat. I'm, I'm gonna turn the alarm off, right? And I don't want to live an anxiety-free life. That's that's the alarm system. Right. Valuable. It's good for. us. Yes. It lets me know when I'm out of balance,
2: and so the goal isn't to, to numb it; it's to make peace with it. Yeah. Cr- you look at anxiety as a symptom, not not the problem. Yeah. It's a tool. Yeah. It's a dashboard.
0: Yeah. yeah. That, that leads so. us perfectly into a question from Andrea. What are the different types of anxiety, and how
1: can they contribute to unhealthy coping mechanisms?
0: So, John, we use different words that are synonyms. You know, we'll say worry, we'll say anxiety, we'll say stress, we'll say discontent. You talked about discomfort and how we pathologize or moralize mm-hmm. discomfort. Discomfort is bad, therefore, extreme comfort is good. The more mm-hmm. comfort, if I can bubble wrap everything, if I That's can right. nerf my life, then that must be the ultimate good. Right. And of course these are all different types of you know their words Mm their definitions but if we get to the essence of it what we're talking about is a discomfort i think discomfort underlies all of these things the worry Mm -hmm. any of the sort of struggle the mental struggle with with these things and so can you talk about maybe how we can delineate those things so we don't just throw it all into a stew so so can i get in trouble here is that cool yeah you can say whatever (laughs) Whatever you want (laughs) all right
1: um I get that question a lot, and especially when I was working with students, do I have social anxiety? Do I have generalized anxiety disorder? Do I have all these different markers, these diagnostics? Ultimately, these are name tags I'm going to put on Mm -hmm. that I can look at my behavior. There Mm -hmm. is something important about naming the dragon. There's something about when your physician or somebody tells you, hey, your brain's doing this, and this is what we call that. That can be helpful, because now we have a a dragon to go to light, right? Where I don't like the diagnostic obsession is it creates a... Well, I, I I got socialized anxiety disorder, so I don't uh, go around people. I don't I don't I don't lean into these situations. I do everything online. I don't work in this office. I don't. It allows us to create a context instead of saying my alarms go off when I'm around people. I need to really lean into that because I know that if I don't spend my life with other people in it, then I'm going to die young. That's what the that's what the literature tells us, right? I'm going to have a more miserable life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if my alarms are just ringing all the time. I got to look at the whole ecosystem. If every time I walk into work, my alarms are going off, I need to ask myself, what is it about this environment that my body's trying to protect me from, right? So I don't like pulling apart all the anxieties and saying it's this and this and this and this. Ultimately, what I want someone to do is when your heart takes off on you, racing. There was moments when I was in it big time, dude, that I would laugh literally left there is nobody in here with a hatchet trying to kill me but my body was responding as though there was mm. right and i kept tra- tra- what is the th- what are you doing right that's what i want people to do mm. just get back in touch with your body man and mm. your body's got a pretty good pretty good system on it to let you know and if you can't trauma often disconnect us from our body
2: then you got to go heal that trauma
1: and then you can make peace with your body
2: right? yeah me- yeah it's you mentioned anxiety being this protection mechanism mm-hmm. And that is what it is, huh? It's just your body
0: trying to It's pre- an alarm system. Yeah, yeah, yeah protect yeah. you from something. Yeah yeah. 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 We had a question here about trauma, but I figure we could talk talk more broadly about about trauma mm-hmm. uh, with respect to to anxiety because what you're saying is you have to go deal with that trauma, mm-hmm. you have to work through it before y- you can maybe uh, calm the fire alarm, so to speak. Yeah. Talk to me about trauma. So if you think about your brain is scanning your environment twenty four seven three sixty
1: five. Right. Right. And it think of this is a terrible analogy, but think of a a GPS pin. Your dad, you know, you walk in when you're a young child and you say, Hey dad, look, and you spill something and just BAM, right? Mm. Puts a pin in that. Mm. Do not spill. Or you come home and you're kind of loud and mom yells at you and says, Hey, you're making me crazy. Put a pin in it. Mm. Then your body tells you, okay. I'm responsible for the emotional regulation of the adults in my life. Mm. My job is to make sure mom doesn't get angry. That is a weight that any six-year-old cannot... No six-year-old can carry that weight, right? right? No six-year-old can carry the weight of their dad's rage. You can't do it, right? But we prop up. So all of those things, all trauma is is when situations in in our present or in the past that are recalling themselves in the present exceed our body's ability to to operate Mm. as it should, right? To run, and so our bodies can remember trauma from from when we're kids. It just remembers the pen. It can remember it from yesterday. And dude, it will call it up and it will scan it before we even see it, before we even know it, right? Mm. So if I got beat up, by a smoking hot guy with tall blonde hair who wore, wore all black <laughs> and I see you coming at me with your arms wide open for a hug my body's gonna go run, yeah. run right? we yeah. remember this narrative when we were kids right? we remember wow. this yeah. and it happens all the time here's what happens in like my marriage my wife knows don't be around dad on Sunday afternoons dad's like a, a, a bear just let dad be dad I come home and we're newly married, and I come home and I'm like, hey, ha, and she begins to lean apart, like just, just, just because her body knows don't be around this on Sundays. Wow. Well, mine is desperate for connection, right? I'm obsessed with connection. I feel that gap, and so I, my way of closing the gap 25 years ago was to poke harder and to make more jokes <laughs> and to be louder, which made her pull away. So suddenly we've got my trauma, if you will. Her of being left alone, of disconnection, of I'm all all on my own. Mm. And hers of it's not safe here. Mm. They combated each other, right? They hit head on. And then all of a sudden the gap gets wider and wider and wider. So trauma just plays this loop all through our lives. And some of it's big T trauma. Some of it's little T. And I know there's a big move now to get rid of little T trauma because it's not real. Dude, when you get into the comparison game, trauma is trauma is trauma is trauma. And if your body's taking off on you, you got to own it. And I don't care if you had evil, evil stuff that happened to you. I've sat with those kids or man, you got, you got really hammered on for not getting hundreds on all
2: of your, of your schoolwork. Mm. Does not matter? You're here right now and your body's taking off on you. Let's heal there. So when it comes to trauma, like how would you suggest someone kind of goes about dealing with that? Like, is it a matter of like seeing a therapist mm-hmm. and, and, and getting a different story um, yeah I guess yeah how would you the goal of healing trauma is can I have these
1: thoughts can I have these memories play in my mind without my body rushing just to, to, to protect me mm-hmm. right yeah. dumping into its normal response mechanisms so I cannot edit what happened in the past mm-hmm. I can't that abuse happened they that person put it like hit me with a stick put a cigarette on me like those things happened mm-hmm. period in the present when my body takes off on me right and this is like Peter Levine's work and Van der Kolk's work is so, and Judith Herman's work so good can we bring our frontal lobe back online Mm. it wasn't safe then but you're safe now Mm -hmm. these things that your body did to protect you like hiding disappearing being really loud drinking whatever the things were they served you to keep you alive now now they're hurting everything they're burning everything down around you now how can we make peace in the present Mm -hmm. right and then you can be about writing new stories moving forward Mm. but you gotta make peace here most people most of the time need to go talk to somebody
2: yeah yeah. Oh, yeah, I know I did, for sure.
1: You got to go have a, have a professional teach you some yeah. new tools on how to be okay in the present so that you can go through these memories so that you
0: can make peace with your body and then you can mm. move on. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Mallory, let's talk to Adam. Is it healthy for us to watch the daily news and take on the rest of the world's no!
1: traumas? <laughs> Next <laughs> no. question. Next question. <laughs>
0: yeah. well, let's talk about our fascination with this because mm. I have some friends, some of them are in this room, um, who <laughs> who want to and I get the impulse, but want to stay connected. In Mm -hmm. fact, I've been accused by people in this room (laughs) of, (laughs) um, being not compassionate simply Mm -hmm. because I tune out of the news. Mm -hmm. I I don't participate in the news cycle and Mm -hmm. I'm not moralizing that, but I've realized for me, Mm -hmm. it radically increases my anxiety. Mm -hmm. It trips that smoke alarm very quickly. Oh, yeah. And I start to hear about, you know, Uyghurs in China. And as awful as I know that is, I also recognize the serenity prayer, right? right? You can do nothing about it. Right. Other than, well, but my mind thinks I can. If I worry hard enough, this whole thing will stop. Yes. Mm. So we
1: get chemically addicted to the cortisol and the adrenaline. Oh, yeah. The dump. Mm -hmm. And I had to come to terms with the fact that chasing the news was my body trying to get hits. Yeah. My body's just doing coke. It's just doing it off of cortisol and adrenaline, right? Mm -hmm. And you get get chemically addicted to this stuff. Mm -hmm. The reality is you can do nothing about it. And that is a sense of powerlessness that most of us can't come to terms with. Mm -hmm. I think that's why... uh, seasonal elections are so hard because we get one ping pong ball toss. Like, at the, like at, the, at the fair when we were a kid trying to get a goldfish, right? You get one toss. I get to go in and punch the one little thing in the ballot. Mm-hmm. And then I just got to go home. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, I get one play. You know, in every other part of my life, I can be like, yeah, yeah. You get one shot, right? And that's with the news. We were not designed to live stream war. No. We can't absorb mm-hmm. that. And our bodies are designed. There's a tiger at the front of that cave. Do you kill it or do you run from it or do you play dead and it gnaws off part of your leg and then drags you under a pile of leaves and maybe you can escape tomorrow, right? Mm. That's what our bodies are designed for. Not for tiger, 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 tiger. And then the tiger sleeps with you and then you wake up at 630 in the morning and you just stare at the tiger's face. It's not our bodies aren't designed, man. And it will shut it down the way. Here's the best analogy I can give. If you get a clog, like a hair clog, right? In your sink and you dump Drano into it once every couple of years, fine, Mm -hmm. If every morning you woke up and just dumped Drano down the sink, in short order, it's going to eat through the pipes yep. and you're going to have a mess. That's what cortisol and adrenaline is, man. It is for acute, like, get me out of here. Let's get this thing going. Mm-hmm. It is not designed for all the time. And so, there are people who make their identity about, I'm in the know. I know everything. I can absorb more punishment than you can. Mm-hmm. And I just say, congratulations, everybody. <laughs> like, wait a, like, cool. I know yeah. the capacity of my body. If I want to be a compassionate, respectful, great human being who's who can serve my local community and my family, I got to turn that off. Yeah. Right? And if you really want to make change, it's it, the only change we've got is local. Love local, dude. Do 100%. stuff around your neighborhood. Go pick up trash. You want to get rid of your anxiety? Get your kid and go pick up trash. You go for a walk outside and pick up trash in your neighborhood yeah. and talk with your kid and then you're going to watch your body relax, right? But yeah, we can't, we can't absorb all that. Yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, That's I a had, soapbox for me. Sorry, man. I can talk no, about all day. It dude, drives me crazy. No, I,
2: I had to get away from news. Like, I don't even know what it was, but like, I'd go through the cycle of, you know, going to the different news sites and I'd go conservative. I'd go liberal. I'd go medium. I'd go libertarian. Like, you know, I felt like I was getting this variety of information. Yeah. But it's crazy because, like, I don't know how to explain it other than this. There's a feeling that I was looking for. Yes. And I just kept going from site to site to site to site. Until I maybe barely got that feeling that I was looking mm-hmm. for. And then I'm like, oh, okay, like now I can get off. But it, it is that it's that dope. It's a hit. It really is. But yeah. you know, Josh, I would posit that not looking at the news might make you more compassionate because I know mm-hmm. that when I look at all of those different news sites, I feel like I have I'm helpless and I mm-hmm. feel like I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Where if I am, you know, staying away from the news, then I do have time to Focus on my neighbors or to focus on a local community mm. project rather than looking at a local community project and saying, "You know what this doesn't even matter. There's so much going on to like this community project. why even bother mm. so um yeah, man, I would say maybe it makes you more compassionate.
0: I think there's another component here too that I would add to that is the recreational outrage piece <sighs> of it we oh, really, feel so good recreational <laughs> outrage that should be a t shirt oh, we we feel as though. The self righteousness. It's a sport. Yeah, steps in and it says, "I need to be right about something mm-hmm. because it says something about who I am," mm-hmm. and and we we sort of get off on feeling righteous, and therefore, I need to take this you know stance, whether it's conservative or liberal, whether it is you know the the it, we're all playing for some sort of team mm-hmm. in a way, right? And so, uh, in order to show my allegiance to that team. Not only must I contribute to that team because that's not really that sexy, but I must fight against anyone who is against my team, right? And so, why are we compelled to do that? Where does that come from? Because even now, I know Ryan has tuned out a great deal from the news from before, but I know he'll still seek out things Mm -hmm. that are like, I can't believe what they're doing with this law in Florida right Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. and it's like, why? What are they doing? And he's like, and, and so, like, even then, it's like we. There are so many on ramps yeah. to information, misinformation, mm-hmm. chaos, and and anxiety. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, I understand that we do do it, mm-hmm. but it's almost like going out and getting into a car crash intentionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like all right. I'm going to go out today and crash my car. Right? Why the hell am I doing that? That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: I I think one we're tribal. I think you mentioned it. Like yeah. we're wired for connection, and right now we just got to two main narratives pumped into our head actually there's a third which is like the anti-narrative like I've got no I don't I don't need no information I've got I seek it up for myself and they've mm-hmm. all found each other and they're just <laughs> regurgitating the same yeah. like oh yeah I got this dude on YouTube I follow he's got 17 followers he knows the truth and you're like alright dude and so <laughs> it, it, like we're just wired towards getting in a gang um, I do I do think it's become a sport in that sense of powerlessness I can't solve this I can't lob a grenade back at country X. I can hit that guy. Mm-hmm. Except we forget that when Martin marched across that bridge, the the the, the conventional wisdom is you're probably going to die. They're going to kill you on that bridge. Yeah, It costs something. There is no cost to just retweeting back, right? There is mm-hmm. no cost to this. And so we've had an out, used to outrage and sticking your neck out there and going for it cost you something. Mm-hmm. There is no cost anymore. Right. right? There's no, the, the teeter-totter's way out of balance. And then, occasionally it costs you something and it's so smashed down the other side, it's when it does come down on you, you're done, right? You can never work again. You can, So yeah. there's no, we've lost the forgiveness and the grace and discourse, right? And so I think, man, there's something about I just got to check out. I do think, my, my pushback to the, the car crash analogy is I drive and I'm not a good driver i don't pay attention so i've learned i have to set my i just (laughs) <laughs> Y'all know Weimhoff. Oh yeah. I was doing these Weimhoff breathing exercises the other day on the way to work in my car at about ninety miles an hour, and I passed out and I just totaled
0: my Prius. I just wrecked it. It was awful. I got real. You were doing it while th- you were wait, driving. This is a true story. True, true story. Listen, true story oh super. God. I'm not a good driver. Okay. <laughs> oh my. god By the way, like we, we did a video with him on our YouTube. <laughs> oh Did channel. you really? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he's great. You yeah, know the the, the yeah. first thing he's like, don't do this while you're doing anything. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Correct. Oh and I literally god. know, don't do this in the pool, man.
1: And next thing, so yeah, it was bad. I'm not a good driver. I don't pay attention and my wife like she came and saw me at work um, and just she was we like, like her thing is I'm gonna die in a car wreck and so mm. she said for me and your kids would you stop here's what I know I can't and so I put the car on when I get in my car now and drive I put it on cruise control it keeps me at 71 miles an hour. Right. Which is my one, I get one mile of rebellion. That's it. Right? One <laughs> mile an hour over. <laughs> and, but, and, but is that the title for this episode? Right. One mile of rebellion. Mile of rebellion. <laughs> um, one MPH of rebellion. But here's the thing. Like, so I know completely unplugging makes me a little bit anxious. Like what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And also no diving in. And so I've got to find some, like I've got some people at work that set a limit. You got five minutes on the news, and your phone
0: shuts you off. Like whatever those those limits yeah, are. Yeah. I prefer, can, I, can I pause on that real yeah, quick? Yeah. I so that's a problem too, though. Being it, oh, unplugged oh, makes sure. me anxious. Yep, it does. Mm. And I, I'm with you. I, yeah, yeah. I feel the same thing. But how absurd is that? That is another because two hundred years ago we didn't have electricity. I didn't even know. That's yeah, right, there that's was right, nothing yeah. to plug mm. into. That's right. And therefore. And that low-level anxiety wasn't a, uh, a pre-existing condition. Well, if you were disconnected from your tribe, it might have been. Okay. Right?
1: So if your tribe was off doing things for a couple of weeks and you were just stuck, uh-huh. your body's going to start spinning up saying, hey, what's going on? Are they safe? is did another tribe move in like what's going on so i think that's a natural thing right
0: Mm. but we're mistaking what's going on in ukraine right now as our tribe as that's exactly right Mm -hmm. and it and and it's hard when we're all saying hey we're
1: this big global community and we're all in this together and we all have to work on climate change together and 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 this and this but we're not that much of a global community but that's their issue right so it's just it's a mess right and we're trying to all figure it out at the same time yeah i think that's where you go back to i've got to know what i have to do to keep me well and I cannot get in a comparison game with this person and with this person and with this person Mm. I've got to know that I'm not okay if I plug in 24-7 it's just going to wind me down and I would say nobody can plug in 24-7 it'll kill you
2: oh yeah yeah you would never sleep you know with recreational outrage I think I just I absolutely love that by the way that's a (laughs) great title uh, if you're I, not making that movie for sure show. because I, I would love to see yeah right I would love to <laughs> recreational outrage know, I'm saying, you'll never yeah. believe how mad <laughs> he gets um no i uh I would love to say that I've never participated in recreational outrage but I definitely have yeah. and there's this thing about the um animity of 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 being able to go on social media and just spew whatever you want to. Mm-hmm. And people
0: will never know who you are. There's that cost, as as John right. said, isn't there anymore? Yeah. Can I tell you how many times in the last week we've been told to do better? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can tell you why. Part of, <laughs> it, part of it has to do with John's boss, Dave. Um. <laughs> uh. So we are partnering with the whole Ramsey <laughs> folks on this. We're building a. You know, we're not building. We're we're uh, supplying education financial education to middle school and high school students. Every middle school and high school student in Dayton, Ohio, where we're from, we're raising money. By the way, if you want to contribute, it's theminimalists.com slash education. None of that money goes to me and Ryan. (laughs) But when we announced this on social media and the newsletter, the first thing, I'd be involved, but there's... And they started heaping all of these... Uh, assumptions, these stories gotcha. onto Dave. Mm. And I can And some people were like, "Oh my gosh, it's amazing! You're working with Dave Ramsey yeah, yeah, yeah. again." I, I, you know, I saw you on his show you know, a few years ago, whatever it was. And then here they come, do better. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you'd part. And I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to help kids yeah. here. Like, this isn't about Wh- Dave. Yeah. Why can we not separate the? Uh,
2: I don't know. It's like like uh, Kanye West, for example. Um, I think he is. You know, uh, I I don't want to like bash him too much, but I just don't care for Kanye West as Mm -hmm. a person. But I really enjoy his music, Mm. so it's like I can separate the two. Yeah, like I I can still listen to Kanye's music and enjoy it without identifying with. Well, if I listen to his music, that means I like Kanye. Mm -hmm. The guy's a good artist. Like that's okay. Mm. So I don't understand why we can't separate. um, Yeah, this uh, someone someone's personality from like the actions or the the business that they do. I mean, let's say. You know Ramsey. I don't know. He, you know, he's got twelve DUIs or whatever. You know, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, <laughs> no. But but I'm just no. Yeah. I'm just saying though. Like for example, let's say yeah. Ha- and then, um. But he's doing these. He's doing really good work for high school students mm. and elementary school students. Like, why does that past this fictional past that I'm mm. making up about Ramsey? <laughs> why would that past?
0: Um, why would that negate the good that he's trying to do? Yeah, I think it's even more insidious than that, though. I, I think this is. If you were to take the Kanye analogy even farther and you were say, Well, you know, I don't like Kanye because he's racist and he beats his children. Mm-hmm. You'd be like what? Or the Michael Jackson, right? Like how far Yeah. Well right? what I'm saying is like you we don't know these things about... You're making things up about Kanye. And mm. that's what, like, whenever I see the the mm. people who have some sort of recreational outrage, mm-hmm. it's twinge in some story they've been told and they've amplified it yes. mm. through their assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, their assumptions have become their reality and therefore they want to thrust that reality onto to other people. Right. When the truth is, like, okay, you... May feel a particular way about Dave Ramsey. We love dave. we We appreciate mm-hmm. what he's doing and helping us with these these high school and middle school mm-hmm. students. How awesome is that? Mm-hmm. If you don't like him, though, making up something so you can feel better mm-hmm. about your stance ah. is uh, is something that seems relatively new to me. there's mm-hmm. um
1: there's something about collaborating with people who've got different views and so let me let me say it this way i seek out people with different beliefs than me yeah like my friends are made up of those that crew most of the friends that i would consider people that i love who our kids play with their kids i would have no problem dropping my kids off with them if i had to take my wife to the hospital those folks in my life we have very different beliefs but we have very similar values and our values are of you get involved mutual respect we're going to default to laughter, right? We're going to think the best of other people. Then we're going to figure the belief stuff out. And so if a value that we can all look around and say, Hey, uh, I don't know, like the financial crisis of these children is an absolute wreck. Or mm-hmm. we owe $30 trillion that those kids or our grandkids are going to have to figure out how to pay back. Like, can we all agree on that. That's a value that we want to yeah. stop hurting children. Yeah. And then the belief of like, well, I happen to go to this church. Well, I happen to believe this. I don't even go at all. Cool. Those kids are hurting. Can we figure this out? Right. And then we're going to get it on a table and figure that out, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it's why I read books. It's why I listen to podcasts. So I hang out with cool people because I want my beliefs to change. Mm. What yeah. kind of life do I – why would I read a book if you don't want your beliefs to change? Stop reading then, right? Yeah. We do. And so – but my values are anchored in. Like my values are – right? That's what I share with my – my wife and I don't even talk about who we vote for, mm. right? Because we want to stay married. And so – <laughs> but our values are – ironclad how we go about doing that is different we can all agree that abuse is wrong
2: we all know that Mm -hmm. we take care of these kids right uh yeah it's a mess it's a mess it is well it's interesting because you know this thing that we're doing with ramsey if anything it should it should be a reason to unite with different values and different beliefs and all of that and instead it's like yeah we look for a reason to separate ourselves Mm. for the stupidest things, you know. I'll, I'll tell you the one thing about recreational outrage is that people are, they are, uh, they love to feel self righteous. They love mm. to feel justice. Mm. You know, they they love to right a wrong. So there is a piece of that when we're mm. you know using our megaphone on Twitter. There is this um this this self righteous feeling of like oh, I'm doing good. I'm mm. I'm writing this wrong, and really, it's it's just making the situation worse. If we would. Go back to the stories we're born into, the stories we were told.
1: If we will go back to those and begin to pull them apart, just pull the thread on them, what we'll find is we were we've we've been co-opted into these other stories, right? Mm-hmm. And we've been co-opted into a way of being, into a way of seeing the world, going all the way back to your therapist. If we can seek out people who hand us a different way of looking at a problem, different mm-hmm. pair of glasses to say, let's look at this problem, look at this problem then we can begin to pull apart our body's response to these things. Because I think some of the indignation, some of the, the the righteousness is a body screaming at you. You've got nobody. You are completely and totally alone. You do not belong to anybody. Prove yourself. Yeah, I'm in. All right, It's old school gang stuff, right? Like yeah. I'll do whatever I have to do. And I've stopped asking, what are we trying to do here? And I've just tried to make participation or membership the goal. Mm-hmm. And, Dude, when membership is the goal, you find yourself way out on an island yeah. and you, you stop being about what we're doing, how we're helping, how we're serving. You stop being about what are we for and you start finding yourself like we're all in this game because we all hate the same people. Right. And that's a dangerous crowd to be with. Right. Yeah. Be with people who all are trying to do a thing together, not who are all hating things together. Right. Yeah. It yeah. seems
0: to be the difference between a community and a tribe. A tribe unites against something, the tribalism. Ah, I like the, that. Yeah. The never community that. unites around something, shared values, yeah, principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though you have radically different beliefs. Like Ryan and I vote for different people. Mm-hmm. We have different religious and spiritual beliefs, different personalities. Same hairdresser for sure, for sure, for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and so that's the that's the main spiritual the main belief that we <laughs> yeah, have. I mean, that's because it's, we have common we sh- thread that braids yeah. us together. That's our shared value. Uh, we, we really you know like to look best with our hair.
2: <laughs> also, like
0: I think humor is a component that is unfortunately being tamped down it's today. Killing it's killing me. Uh, and, and it's one of the things that makes Ryan's and my relationship so easy uh and and i feel as though like we have this ability to joke about anything Mm -hmm. especially life's most serious issues Mm -hmm. but also like just random jokes i sent him a picture yesterday it was a picture of jesus giving donald trump a shoulder massage it looked like (laughs) and i just said hey why are you wearing all white in this picture (laughs) that was pretty good and and so we can do small things like that but also like seriously difficult things mm-hmm. to discuss. Mm-hmm. We um were able to to joke about those. So can things. I tell
1: um uh, uh, I guess I'll say trigger warning for the audience here. <laughs> um I was some of the work I did back in Texas was I was doing crisis work with a local police department. So I would I was a dean of students at a law school by day and then I was a part of a small team. We we just had our cell phones and we'd get a text and it would just say 1087 and an address. And 1087 was a police code for Somebody's passed away, mm-hmm. and so we would show up and help with the death notification, help with the moms and the dads. The police showed up to work that scene, homicide. Back we were showed up. We showed up to um, get people the resources they need because now they're entering the dark season, right? And I showed up to a scene, and it was a young man who just taken his life. His sister was in the house, and mom was on the way. And my job was to keep mom separate from this scene, and because. If she goes in and hits a police officer or swings it right, now we have a whole different situation. My job was, with me and my partner's job, was to make sure that doesn't happen. This sitting with sister, sitting with sister, and finally sister says, Hey, I don't know what y'all are expecting. You will not keep that woman out of this house. Mm. And my job was, she can't come in here. She can't see this. Mm. And she said, then she's going to go to jail because she's coming in this house. Mm -hmm. And so the police officer on scene looked at me and he pulled out two rubber gloves and he handed them to me and said, it's just me and you then, man. And so we shut the door and had to clean this scene up, and it was as gruesome and graphic as you can imagine. Mm. And we got to laughing so hard, I thought with just caustic humor, Mm. it was the only way forward. Yeah, right. It's it was it was Mm. a out of body experience, right? And that was the first time. Then the second, third, the times, the more time you do this. But I remember thinking if somebody's watching us right now, we're gonna be institutionalized because nothing here is funny. And mm-hmm. our bodies had said, no, this is how right. And we have completely humor is a gift, right? Yeah. It's a it's a social lubricant, it's a way to enter into really difficult spaces. And I think that's why I consider stand-up comedians the last great artists of our time. Oh, because yeah. it's just them in a microphone and there's there's not any more filters, right? It's just it's just live. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, you quickly end up on concrete and in ash, right? Okay. You you have to have somebody saying, "Well, what about that? What about that?" and poking it and going, Phew. "So I've learned when something is offensive to me and my initial response to a joke is, "Hey, that's a that's a me problem." Yes. Right? That's a John problem. I need to look in the mirror and go, well, "What was so touchy
2: about this?" Right? Yeah.
1: I don't know. I I I I just believe humor is a solvent. It's a gift.
2: 100%. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting to me when someone will say like, "Oh, that joke it's inappropriate." it's like that's what makes it a joke
0: that's that's the yeah that's the whole point of yeah, jokes yeah, there's yeah. no
2: such thing as an appropriate joke <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> right and, i mean dad jokes are the things yeah, that maybe. are like and and those aren't funny right, right. they're funny because they're, <laughs> they're not funny, funny. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah and so um and it's always like well, yeah, but these three things are off limits the problem yeah. is it's three there's three different things for every move, person yeah, yeah. Yeah. And i'm all, I'm
1: all about 100 percent about hospitality Right. And so mm-hmm. if you tell me hey, it's not funny, I'm going to be respectful
0: and cool. And uh, sure, yes, of course. But at some yeah. point, if I keep putting up barriers, um, it makes it untenable to have a relationship with that person. And, and the, the
1: work I've had to do over the last decade is that is you choosing to opt out of a relationship with me. Yes. And that is a choice you're making about things going on in your heart and mind. That I cannot control.
0: Let's expand on that because I think Ryan, uh, in particular, you know, he's got some close family members who have opted out of relationship with him, Oof. and because of beliefs. Yeah. I like how you just did that. You just pointed like, let's talk about how Ryan's family
2: has <clears throat> has, right. has opted let's out of him. Let's talk about head. Ryan's problems. Well, <laughs> that was well done, man. That was awesome.
0: <laughs> we we world class deflection. Man. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> we we use this podcast mainly as a therapy session right. for me and That's Ryan. Good. Yeah, yeah, huge. And mm. and so. It's a fascinating perspective because what you're talking about here is some people unknowingly Mm. opt out of relationship with us. Mm -hmm. Now, that can be because of the barriers they put up or they put up boundaries that are so stark or so restricting Mm. that it doesn't allow us to have a relationship with them. Mm. Other times people are opting out because of their behaviors that are damaging, toxic, corrosive to a relationship. Mm. So can we talk about that a bit? Yeah, I, we've just made ourselves the
1: center of everybody else's universe. And so if I want you guys to come over and you're like, hey, I can't make it, mm-hmm. well, it's clearly a slide on me because the world revolves around me. I don't know what you have going on in your life, but what this I do is about wrong. me. Yeah, yeah, this is about me. <laughs> and hey, uh, let's go get chips and queso. And you're like, well, you believe the end of time will look different than the way I believe the end of time work. I don't eat queso with guys like that, right? Like- <laughs> And I start to go, well, well what is it about? Man, mm-hmm. the greatest release I've had over the last five, six, seven years is I I became obsessed with loneliness. And we have a pathology about that in our culture. Mm-hmm. But as I dug into loneliness, it was I can't control everybody around me. Right. And so I can't deal with that level of of like just sand running through my fingers. And so I'm just going to retreat and head back. Yeah. It's safer here. And at the same time, our bodies know it's going to kill us. And so we have to have that. So I have had to, I want to hug my six-year-old daughter. And she looks at me and says, no, dad, I have to know that's not about me. Right. Right. Because I'm a good dad. Mm -hmm. And she is making an autonomous body choice that drives me crazy. And she's allowed to make it. And I'm training her as best I can you are in control of your body. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not even your dad will override your wishes, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully she chooses over time, I feel better when I'm hugging dad. Yeah, I love being closer to dad mm-hmm. and I'm going to let that natural arc if I try to do it with power and I try to do it with with deception I try to use like my, I got bigger muscles than my six year old daughter <laughs> yeah. barely but I do right <laughs> if I try to use that as means to put her in proximity with me to control our relationship that's yes. going to turn into ash right so yes. the same is with our friends the same is with our family it's being able to look in the mirror and the, the you talked earlier about you know we've pathologized all these uncomfortable things you talk about the one we have just stomped on is grief. And we don't have the, we don't have the cultural skill set for grief anymore. Just to say, I want nothing more than my dad to want to have a cup of coffee with me. Yeah. And he won't. Right. We don't have a mechanism for that. We've got another drink for that, another app for that. We don't have a mechanism for just sitting in that hurt for a season. Mm. And it's hard when our dads won't, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Or our moms or our sisters or our brothers. And that's brutal, man. It's brutal. But it's got to be, I have to let go my role in that and I have to recognize their autonomy to make their choices to not be in a relationship with me because of what they're working through, right? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. because of of me.
2: And that is it's yeah, heavy that, and hard. It just again, yeah, it goes back to the narratives that we tell ourselves. Um, I'll tell you the ability to let go of the responsibility that I would feel for how other people acted mm. is like you're right. It's just like I just took this huge weight off of my shoulders. Yeah. It's like, oh. That's nothing to do with me. Yeah. Like mm. it's not me who made, you know, uh, my dad not, you know, not talk to me. So yeah, my, you know, my dad, he, oh, is, I just, was, I just, I was just making. Oh, I know, up. I know. Um, you know, but you, you, uh, you know, subconsciously, I must have like projected. It's a good it. therapist trick. <clears throat> you just, uh, you just start fishing deeply, right? Be exactly. Like, oh, I got one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So he doesn't talk to me because I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, and, um, in fact, I've talked to him about, um, why I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, mm-hmm. and by me having that conversation with him it made him question mm-hmm. if he was doing the right so he's like i can't talk to you anymore because you've made me question my faith you're mm-hmm. not you know you're not a practicing jehovah's witness um mm-hmm. you know and all these reasons so i the story i used to tell myself was that religion is it's ruining my dad and i's relationship it's all mm-hmm. that religion's fault yeah. and i had like this um hostility like this anger this resentment towards Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and every time I'd like walk past them and I'd see at their carts I just Mm -hmm. want to go to and be like your religion is ruining my -hmm. relationship with my father Mm -hmm. (laughs) like but and and then talking to a therapist he just kind of helped me see um, through a series of questions that it's really not the religion as much as it is you know, my, my my dad being a bad dad yeah. mm. has nothing to do with this this religion. It's like my dad is making his own choices yeah. and he uses the religion as an excuse. As a proxy, yeah. Right. But like that's just him. But can, we, can, we, can just, I push on that? Yeah, of course. How
1: much harder is that? It is so easy to make a nameless group of oh, yeah. of thems the problem.
2: Mm-hmm. It is
1: really hard to say No, dad chose to not be with, chose them over me.
2: Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it is very difficult, but you know, another story I would tell myself is that I deserved good parents. Mm. You know, why, why is my mom this way? Why is my dad this way? Mm. You know, they should have been better. They should have known better. And now I'm at the point where, you know, I'm not entitled to good parents. Mm. I'm not entitled to anything. So that, that narrative has helped me accept Mm. that, oh, my dad is his own person. He's got his own battles that he's Mm. finding. And I just have to accept it for what it is. I can't change it. Yeah, um, It is difficult to to handle, but, um, but... Can I tell you the gap? But I feel less angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I think, I actually think you are entitled to good parents. Mm. I do. And I think the gap between what I wanted or what I hoped for and what mm-hmm. I didn't get, that's grief, right? It's just the gap. That's all grief is. Yeah. I think that the going to war, like, we have an entitlement culture. We all know that. But there is like, There's some basic low level things. Like you deserve to have somebody get down on a knee and look you in the eye and say, This family doesn't work without you here. I'm glad you're my son. Yeah. That's a thing that we deserve. And I'll even go that far. Mm -hmm. When we don't get it, there's this fear we have in our culture. We don't have and again, it's not a fear, we don't have the skills to look in the mirror and acknowledge reality, to own reality, and that's hard. Yeah, We go, we skip from here's the stories to what do I do about it? And there's a big, you got to sit in it. Yeah. I wanted my marriage to look like this. I didn't mean to, but every year was three pounds, seven pounds, nine pounds, and now I'm 75 pounds overweight, and I don't know how this happened, but here I am, mm-hmm. right? We don't like to look at the, here we are. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look and say, this is the parents I was dealt. Yeah, but I don't like that and so i'm going to release that out of that. So i don't know. I yeah. wish I
2: wish I wish that for you. Yeah, thanks man. Yeah, it's uh, like i said, i'm a lot But less... you, can't, you still end up in the same place. I can't I can't hold it. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm, I I mean, you know, honestly like the fact that i don't cuz I, I was waking up angry. Yeah, of course. And that's when i was like, "All right, i got to talk to somebody." Yeah, good for um, you. So what made yeah. you what
1: made you turn the corner there? Turn the corner.
2: That is a that's a
1: place where the vast majority of people stop. What's that? You had a gap between what you were feeling every morning when you woke up and where you wanted to be. Yes. And most of us cannot bridge. Most of us can't even recognize there's a space there. Isn't it, isn't it,
0: you can, you you can bridge that gap one of two ways. You can either not, you can no longer need the thing that you thought you needed in order to bridge like, oh yeah, I don't need to go across this bridge. Mm -hmm. You can walk away. It's not greener on the other side. Which is I'm not even walking away, but not needing to be over there, not needing the thing you thought you needed, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's one way to yeah. an acceptance of you know, and I think that's one of the, the major things that Ryan has done is he's stopped the blaming. You know, originally mm-hmm. it was the the blaming of the religion mm-hmm. and then he realized like, Oh, wait a minute. That's like my dad would have used some other weapon to batter me right. other than the religion. Right. It's like if uh, if his dad literally had stabbed him and you blame the knife. Right. And it's like, and then all of a sudden now you go to like, you're at Macy's and you see all these knives and you're like, hey, you guys got to stop selling knives. <laughs> this is hurting kids. <laughs> right. Yes. You're like, well, no, this is a tool that actually really helps a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? But, in this case, it hurts someone. Mm, yeah. And so the willingness to not blame other people or entities mm. is, I think, life's most mature virtue. It shows how mature someone is when they're no longer pointing the finger. And in a way, you started pointing the finger back on yourself, not blaming yourself, mm. but recognizing that I'm responsible for the way that I feel. Yeah, like I get to, yeah, I get to choose uh, a what emotions
2: I foster, and I also get to choose, you know, how I look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like when I was waking up angry on a regular basis, I'm like, oh, like I have to go talk to a therapist about this anger because mm-hmm. I know that this isn't healthy, and there's something about it that I'm stuck on. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was like literally like a one hour session that really helped me get unstuck. And now, mm-hmm. yes, like I get to look in the mirror and be like, hey, man, like I am me, mm-hmm. and I don't control how other people perceive me. Mm-hmm. Or what? What they act towards me, like all I can do is be the, you know, most genuine version of myself, yeah. and like, and I'm worthy of being loved. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, and I'm
1: sad that you're choosing to not be in a relationship with me, and I get it. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I still live by the old Anne Lamont quote: "The opposite of the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty." And mm. I love, love that quote. Mm. Um, so doubt is a doubt is a is a is nutrients to the soil of any sort of belief system, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a constantly leaning on the other end of that teeter totter to see where the balance is. And I, I think that's super important.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. And I think there was a lot, Ryan, when you were growing up, they tried to inject a particular certainty. In fact, doubt oh, was yeah. looked at as a weakness. Yeah. It was looked at as worse than a weakness. It was looked at as evil. That's right.
2: Like that's you're right. an apostate for doubting. That's right. Wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up this maximal episode with a question from Mary.
1: I can get help with whatever depending on the price. How do I break out of transactional based
0: relationships? So I can get help depending on the price. Hmm. And that's fascinating, right? Like like I can help other people. I can and that therefore I'm buying their love. Hmm. Right? So if I were to pay for this person's rent for a month that shows how loving I am. Or if I buy this trinket for someone, it becomes transactional love. But of course, love isn't transactional, it's transcendent. And yet we're constantly doing this. There, there are ways specifically like Mary, you can turn a relationship into a transaction. In fact, that's what our last book was about. Love people use things, right? Loved it. Yeah. And instead of the opposite, which we're, what we're doing is We're using people. And one way to do that is to treat relationships transactionally. And now there's a part of it where that is required, right? If I am going into a restaurant and I want to buy some food, there is a transaction that takes place. But it doesn't mean that I have to be unloving to the person there in front Mm. of me. I can be loving to them regardless of whether or not there's a transaction that's about to occur. So a transaction can happen. And love can happen. The problem is we conflate the two. Yeah, and I, I, I see. I, I noticed that over the last twenty years
1: with my students. Man, the work world is all about networking now. What can this person? What can this relationship get for me? Yeah, and what can that relationship do for me so that I can get that relationship so I can get that job? And we have roi every human connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Um, I have to be able to love and serve people because it's the right thing to do. Going back to your analogy, I can lovingly and with dignity and respect tell somebody, dude, you totally blew my meal at this restaurant, right? Like, this isn't what I ordered. It's mm-hmm. not even cooked. Like, I'm paying you good money. Like, but I can do that with dignity mm-hmm. and I can do that with respect and kindness. And I can't not be like, hey, right? Because that's about my ego and that's about... Not but I think it's circling back to... Um this was hard. I forgive for me. Yeah. That's a that's me taking a brick out of my back. I not I'm going to choose to not carry this thing. Your stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to carry it for you. Right. I'm going to choose to not let you circulate around my thoughts day after day, night after night. That's a choice I am going to choose to make. I am going to forgive for me. I'm going to serve. You need things and I've found that I've got a particular um thing that can meet a need i've got money that i can donate i've got an ability to speak that i can do for free I, i'll do some things but i ultimately have to know that service is going to be a get, it's going to keep me whole and keep me well so i'm going to continue to serve because it's the right mm. if i make my identity about trying to fill everybody else's needs then that is nothing that's not service that is that's uh i'm using you as a as a as a uh what do you
0: like i use you as a tool to mm. make me feel better about myself And that becomes a different type of transaction. And so (sighs) one of the things that we often- become a vampire, right? Mm. Yeah, parasite. I'm going to take your
1: soul so it makes me feel better, right? Yeah. And going all the (sighs) way back to, like, first thing, I'm going to take your autonomy by telling you, you will always be the worst thing you ever did. You will yeah. always be the worst thing that ever happened to you. You're always going to be an ex-survivor of something. You can never grow out of this. And so I've got to come save you.
0: You're a victim and <sighs> I can save
1: forever. you. That's all you will ever be. So you need an entity. You need a this or a that to come help you out of your thing. Because all you will ever be is a fill in the blank survivor. Mm. And I'm stealing that from you to prop up my thing. Instead of coming and saying, you were abused and that shouldn't have happened. Or looking at you and saying, your dad your dad should have loved you. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. That service doesn't have next, yeah, yeah, that service yeah. doesn't have an expectation uh, and right. and I think that's the difference a transaction has an expectation that's right I mm. gave you ten dollars, you gave me my burrito, yeah. that's the transaction, right, yeah. and that opens up space if I want I can be loving that person, I can be mean, I could be spiteful, mm. I can be arrogant and, or I can serve someone without any expectation of getting something back. And that's how you remove the transaction from the relationship. There's no ledger Mm -hmm. in the relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm giving to you, if you give to me, wonderful, but there's no expectation here. I don't need that in order to be complete. I don't need it for our relationship Mm -hmm. to be, quote, improved, Mm -hmm. right? I can serve other people without needing to get anything back Mm. for it. Yeah, this makes me, uh, it's just like just conversation all of
2: these Netflix things that I've watched where people take advantage of other people. Mm. And uh, it's, it all has to do with money and it all has to do with the transactions. And they, they do exactly what you were talking about, John. They're like... Um, you are the worst thing you've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to pull you out of that, but in order to do that, I need you to find out uh, to give, find a way to give me forty thousand dollars. Mm. I mean, there is like there is some crazy stories out there, like the um, there's one called the Tinder Swindler. It's like a documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like you could tell that this man essentially was you know finding his own self worth through the abuse of these relationships mm-hmm. that he was that he was starting. But you know, whenever like. I look at from the outside looking in, it's easy to be like, why are you such an idiot? <laughs> like, yeah. why in the world would you? I wouldn't do that, uh-huh. you right. know, Um, because, you know, I I, I would, you know, I, I tell myself, like, if all of a sudden my relationship with someone started to become all about the transactions, specifically monetary transactions, like red flags are going to go off in my head. But man, when you... uh. When you're dealing with that emotion of love or lust or whatever it is, infatuation, um, you know, those those alarm systems can be uh, shut down a little bit. Yeah, there are there are way
1: fewer red flags than we like to think. Right. Way few. I. uh You know, I was born and raised. I lived most of my life in Texas. And just the, man, if something goes down, dude, I've got my... And I'm going to... And I used to think, no, you won't. No, you won't. (laughs) You know what I mean? I've been to the scenes after it goes down. You won't. You know what what I mean? And But you don't know. You're like, shoot, man. If that girl started talking like that, you know what I would say? Nothing. You'd say absolutely (laughs)
2: nothing. I wish Will
0: Smith Smith would slap me on stage. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't have done anything either. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. You would You see? Yeah, dude... Like
1: that may have been the most, <laughs> one of the most beautiful pictures of poise I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. Right? yeah. Ever. Yes. 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 Totally agree. You want to know what a soul
1: at peace looks like? Chris Rock.
2: Yeah. After getting uh, slapped. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I'm,
1: that's i Dude. I remember like that was the, yeah. I don't I know. Y'all probably talked about this before. Sure. But a little bit. Yeah. We don't have to talk about what Will's working through, but I just remember seeing that thinking that's how you do that. Yeah. Like you stand there and smile and say, right. we'll go to break. Mm-hmm. and Like there's no bigger flex to me there. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's something about, I, I don't, I, my ego, my worth, my whatever comes next isn't dependent on. Yeah. Like all the cameras, and it's not dependent on that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not
0: the, dependent on what everyone else thinks about me because that's always going to be the recipe for misery. Right. Always. Always. Because, always. Hey, we're trying to help a bunch of kids with their education. Do better.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah. We support you helping kids, but not.
0: The person you're working with, to, uh, that blows my mind, man. Yeah, and so the the point is, you're always going to have the do betters out there, yes. I and mean, we should start calling them do betters, right? <laughs> and another t shirt, <laughs> I, I, dude. I'm going to keep pressing on you guys to make the uh, the minimalist t shirt line so good. Yeah, right. <laughs> it'd be super off, but man, it'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> so like, the do betters always are saying something about themselves. Yes, they're never saying something about us Mm -hmm. right now someone can provide feedback in a way that may be beneficial i can choose to ignore it whatever but there's this we interviewed a cult expert amanda montel on the podcast and she talked about this great phrase it's called um a thought terminating cliche yes Mm, and so like as soon as you say like well that person's racist or that person's sexist that person's a uh what, uh, I don't know, a single white male, whatever right, it is, right, all yeah, of a sudden, yeah. these are thought-terminating cliches that are designed to shut down the conversation mm. and also prove one's moral superiority over mm. the subject that they are criticizing. Yeah. And a sort of latent way or, or a less dramatic way of doing that is to simply say, do better. What does mm. that mean? It means that, I, that mean? I'm better, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. I know better, Yeah. and therefore you should do better the unfortunately one of the 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 supposedly most compassionate people to do this are vegans. Mm-hmm. We have a large vegan audience and Ryan and I are never trying to convince anyone to not be vegan or anything else but like 99.8 per, 99.6% of the population Ryan and I eat both plants and animals mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and people get very upset about mm-hmm. that, right? And and constantly being told to do mm-hmm. better. And if we pause to listen to everyone who tells mm-hmm. us to do di- something different, which was really what do better means, do something different that aligns with my values, mm-hmm. then you will be a better person. Mm-hmm. Then I will what? Approve right, of right. you. Oh, and as soon as I get your approval, now I get his disapproval. This yeah, is true. stressing me out. Hey, Kate, so <laughs> can I, Um, do we have a couple minutes? Let's do it. Yeah. So
1: um, when I went back to school, so I, I, I went back to college as an old person and he was 80 at the time exactly I was 117 (laughs) (laughs) oldest college student I rode a a horse and it was awesome I don't (laughs) know what horse has to do with age but um, I was thinking horse and carriage and then my metaphors got all screwed up so I went back and um, they let me in the back door of this program so it was it was a there's a PhD counseling program. You had to have a graduate degree in counseling already, and I didn't have one, but mm. I'd been working in crisis. And they said, okay, you can come in. So it was fun to have a cohort of people that all had the same lingos and language, and they've all read the same stuff. And then I was this wackadoo outsider. And so there was a lot of pushback. I would say, oh, this is a good counseling answer. And they had to say, huh, are we just... Is it a, what'd you just call it? A thought terminating cliche. cliche. cliche? Yeah. yeah. Like there's yeah. a lot of those in mental health yeah. and it just ended a conversation and I was like, that sounds stupid. Yeah. And then vice versa, they would look at me and say, how do you not know basic human dignity, right? Like, how do you mm-hmm. not know this? So it was a great, so I just started seeing clients in my practicum and I've been working in crisis forever and all that this was something else because I was sitting down with actual clients with real challenges and they were telling me about their sex lives and me, it was super intimate real fast mm-hmm. and I was un- unprepared for the intimacy of these counseling encounters and so in class a few months later my professor says all right we're going to do a case study a thought experiment you walk in and your client looks at you and says hey you suck at this mm-hmm. six months I've given you $3,500 I did your little th- I did your little thing tried to ask for a raise and I actually got told, if I ever ask for money again, I'm fired. We did your little uh, relationship practice. She left. She still cheated on me and she left. You're terrible. And dude, when he was talking, my body was like, ah. Yeah. And so he said, what do we do next? And I said, I can't handle that. And they all started laughing. I was like, dude, I can't, no way I could handle that, dude. I would I would be wrecked. This brilliant, wonderful woman. She'd been a therapist for years out of Houston. She said something that changed my life. She said, John, they don't get that. And I said, oh, is this your stupid counselor-y thing? They don't get that. Mm-hmm. She said, no, you get to choose who hurts your feelings. And as a part I didn't put in the book. She said, and you do have to make that choice. Mm-hmm. Here's where that's important. I do think it's critical to have five or six or seven people in your life that you allow to speak into it. Yeah. There is a group of people that are scattered across the country that I'll post something on social media. I don't still know what I'm doing, by the way. I'll post something I think is hilarious. And I had one buddy, he's from Texas. He calls. And he's like, dude, that was hilarious. Take it down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's super funny. And he goes, it is super funny. And that's not you. Don't Don't go down that road. And I got pissed. I instantly got mad and self-righteous. And I took it down because I trust him. And I know that when I'm emotional, when I get fired up about something, when I get indignant about something, I don't think clearly. And so I do have a group of people that I allow to speak into my life and say, hey, that's not a good idea. Or yeah. you think this is funny or smart or whatever. I love telling stories about, you know, I call them war stories back from, you know, showing up at suicide scene and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been coached. Hey, you melt an audience when you do that. It's not helpful. In fact, it's abusive to an audience when you just run in and start throwing these big, crazy things. And so I've learned to say, okay, I trust you. Like, mm-hmm. it makes me feel in control of an audience when I can go do that. But they're telling me that's abusive. Don't do that, right? So I do have to take feedback. And I do think we've crossed a threshold where it's either I'm all – everyone speaks into my life. As Lisa said, I allow everyone to talk into it. And when she said five or six get to speak in, I was like, whatever. I was letting thousands, every student, every parent, every email I got, everyone was speaking into my life. Yeah. But the other side of it is we can say, I'm just going to be me, bro. I'm going to do whatever. Yeah, dude. That's a recipe for crashing and burning too. You got to have a group that you trust that you can you can push back and forth with, right? Yeah.
2: Well, there's a difference between feedback and criticism. Like feedback yeah. is hey John uh, you know you told the story to the crowd and I understand why you did that but here's maybe why you shouldn't tell that story mm-hmm. or maybe you tell it a little bit differently like that's feedback mm-hmm. here's the problem here's a solution that I have to, to remedy the problem the criticism or the seagull effect where someone swoops in and just like shits all over your work and then flies <laughs> away seagull
1: effect that's
3: fantastic
2: <laughs> that, that, I give that one to Milburn he made that up another t-shirt uh, it, was, it was our
0: friend Carl Weidner actually seagull oh was it that is that's fantastic great. Great. Oh, a mentor
2: of ours I could see Carl coming up with that but like the criticism is like the dude better and then yeah flying away and it's like what what good does that do first off like the whole do better thing do better for who for and you for what and for how right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly like you want me to do better for you which would by default probably make me do worse for myself but because i mean it's just, not even that you want me to not help kids is that where we're right right yeah you'd exactly.
1: rather me do nothing than help children is that right. where
0: we're at right it, it, it's and at one point, someone was like, well, if you should go and create this curriculum yourself so you don't have to partner. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Okay. like <laughs> I'm not even the subject matter expert here, right? Yeah. And so uh, when Jess, our she ran our social media, and that's one way. She, we have a filter over it, right? Mm. And so she's asking, like, how do I respond? Like, well, some of these, you do not they, they require no response at all. But I think John brings up a great point here. We've mistaken individualism for isolation and yeah, vice versa. I like that. Mm. And so we we yes, having individual responsibility, you're responsible for your actions, you're responsible for the way you respond, you're responsible for who offends you, mm-hmm. right? That's one thing. But if I isolate myself from everyone, from my community, from all feedback, then I'm not being the best version of myself. So who do I trust? Mm-hmm to get that feedback and even someone like Ryan Ryan can give me some feedback I've it out mm-hmm. and I may choose to ignore that right. and that's okay too yeah. but I can move forward knowing that I got the perspective of someone that I trust and mm-hmm. it's probably a handful of people it's yeah. certainly not a couple million people on social media yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah
2: yeah and you know what's interesting about that perspective is it does one or two things when you get when you when you're getting that from someone you trust you're either like changing your perspective and how you look at it Mm -hmm. or you're like rooting yourself even deeper in that in that you know perspective that you already had um but But yeah it's so important to have someone to push back a little bit it gives you the gift going back gives you the gift of doubt
1: and i think that's Mm -hmm. i think that's something we run from it's one of those uncomfortable feelings that we've wallpapered over Mm -hmm. i think this is the way to approach this problem and someone says i don't i don't i know you and i've you've given me access to your heart and mind I don't think that's the right solution. Mm. Now you've just planted a seed of doubt and now I get to track that sucker down, yeah. right? And I've got to do that hard work and i got to go back and look. Am I right? Did I say this the right way? Mm-hmm. If a mental health therapist who's got years of experience, I've got a group that that I'm always checking in with to make sure I'm staying in the bounds of... Because like what sells is, can I say something outrageous? Can yes. I say something salacious? It's boring to say... Hey, just like get connected with people and change your thoughts and change your actions and just say that over and over and over right it's gets it's not it's not shiny but I've got a group of people that help me stay within the bounds but if somebody wrote in and said hey you missed a boat on this deal then I need to go to the literature and to go check it out I need to go talk to some people and then I may have to do <laughs> say the four yeah the four most beautiful words in the English language I changed my mind right mm. I I came to a different conclusion i learned something new and man if you can make that turn in your life i can go home and tell my wife i've been trying to love you for
0: 20 years i've been doing it all wrong
1: (laughs) man she's gonna go oh thank god right um it's a gift if you can say those words right
0: yeah amen ladies and gentlemen dr john deloney yeah john we're so grateful you decided to spend this time with us today no
1: the most hospitable gentleman in
0: in, oh. in the world here. So I'm oh, keep
2: going. For you. <laughs> no, you do great work, man. Thank you. Keep we it got, up. thank
0: you. We got your new book here. It's called Own Your Past, Change Your Future. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Also, you can check out John's show on YouTube. We'll put a link to that as well. He takes your calls. He talks about anxiety and stress and marriages. I love some of the people who call into it's your show. Wild, and huh? it's, you know, my wife just cheated on me three times and we're broke and what do Mm -hmm. i do
2: (laughs) john thoughts
0: and so uh you'll have to listen to his show to find the answer to that question Mm -hmm. and many more check out (laughs) (laughs) and boy do i have an answer for that right (laughs) check out uh check out the new book also we did a a live event with john a few months back uh, in houston on the Love People Use Things tour. Patrons can check that out if you're a true fan or VIP supporter. Yeah. What an outstanding event that, that was, was awesome. in Houston. Oh my
2: goodness. So uh, fun. The Houston Road Rage story. That was that was my the highlight for that. What that? It, was I just don't really, remember. it was just really uh,
0: funny. We'll have to go back, you and, have to check go back and check it out. All right, all right, <laughs> all right. I'll join the Patreon and, and, and go check it out. Be good. All right, y'all. Love people use things. We'll see you soon. Thank you, patrons. <laughs>
2: Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you will be fine without it